Welcome to Teen Wealth Radio, a show just for teens, their parents, and educators to come together and discuss the issues that are affecting our youth today. Your host is Brandy England. Brandy is joined each week by amazing guests, as well as a regular panel of co-hosts who are here to give you ideas and encouragement every step of the way. We also have plenty of other surprises on today's show. So let's get started. Here's your host, Brandy England. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Team Wealth Radio. It is live at 5 on Monday. If you are in the Pacific time zone, for the rest of you somewhere in the world, I hope you are happy, healthy, and you know, making your way through this time. It's a difficult time uh, for everyone right now with COVID. I know there's these huge forest fires where we live and all the way south through California. So it's causing the air quality to be bad. So it's affecting people's mental health. So hopefully we can bring some happiness and light to you today with Teen Wealth Radio. Uh, I'm always blessed to have Rebecca on here to be my co-host because she just has amazing insight. She comes from the other side of the world where people walk upside down in Australia. And so she always sees things a little bit differently, which is a nice, fresh perspective. So Rebecca, thank you so much for joining me again today, love. <laughs> I love that. That's funny. <laughs> We have a really amazing guest on today, too, uh, a gentleman who is open to sharing his story, which uh, a lot of us aren't always open to sharing some of the more difficult parts of our lives. But it really helps the rest of us to go, hey, you know what? I've been in his shoes or I'm going through something like that with a friend of mine. And maybe this will give me some insight on how to help my friend or help myself. And so hopefully this gentleman can... um, open your eyes and share something great with you. He is an actor, a model, a DJ, a producer. He's done a whole bunch of cool projects in his life. He looks like a young John Travolta. So ladies, you know, you may want to follow him on social media because he's cute and a good guy. (laughs) Um, And he's from Canada. So that's pretty awesome. Uh, Ty, I don't want to tell your entire story. I want to let you do it. So can you just tell everyone a little bit about who you are, what you're passionate about, and a little bit about your story? Randy, that was an amazing introduction. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here. And, uh, you know, uh, I think mental health should be kind of top priority for uh, everyone these days. And uh, especially during a global pandemic, you know, I think that uh, people can really start to relate and connect to what it's like to either not be okay, or, you know, feeling those feelings of isolation for the very first time for some people. It's uh, it, it really is a tough year, but um, you know, I think a lot of good will come from this eventually. And uh, you know, I'm really hoping that my story will kind of be the one thing that maybe someone else can relate to and be comfortable enough to either start sharing their story or maybe they can relate to something they hear and uh, talk to a friend. And, you know, my story really is not that different or unique from anyone else. You know, I think my mental health journey really kind of began in high school where I always kind of felt like either an outsider or like something was wrong with me or, you know, I'm looking around at all these people who seem to be on the right track in life. And for some reason, I just can't get it. And, you know, it was around these kind of really stressful high school moments that uh, I really started to depend on alcohol and substances to either cope with or, you know, just get me through a day sometimes. And, um, you know, when you kind of start using anything as a crutch, that's when things tend to go sideways. And, uh, you know, that's really what it, how it was for me. You know, before booze was this social lubricant that made me seem more confident, charismatic, made the music seem louder, make the women seem prettier. 
but really I was just living under a veil. And um, it was during this time in um, high school that uh, I really just kind of went to the substances instead of reaching out for help. And, you know, a lot of that had to do with being a male in today's society. And uh, what I'd kind of like to really get into is what mental health looks like for men, especially in this day and age, right? It, it seems to be, or it was anyway, this very uh, taboo subject where, you know, we kind of hush, hush, sweep it under the rug and move on. But uh, I think we're finally at a point where it's okay to start talking about these things and more importantly, reaching out for help. So if anyone's kind of struggling during the COVID-19 lockdown or is feeling isolated, whatever, you know, these are the crucial moments in life where we need to reflect on where we're going and decide if we need to either adjust the track or reach out and get some help. There's definitely like a lot to go on there. You were saying that like you you sort of started this when you were in high school. How, how old were you when you sort of first noticed that you were starting to struggle with addiction and things like that? You know, unfortunately for me, it was a fairly young age. You know, I remember experimenting with drugs and alcohol when I was about 14 years old. Um, and right away, I knew that this was for me. You know, it really seemed like the be all end all to life in general, you know. And uh, honestly, I was always the guy at the parties who could drink more than everyone. You know, when people started to puke or pass out or go home. I was still strong and going and um, things really kind of took a turn for the worse. Unfortunately, in my first year of university, um, tragically, I had lost a friend who was killed and um, that kind of really motivated or pushed me deeper into addiction. And uh, when you lose a close friend like that to really tragic circumstances, things tend to get a little crazy. And instead of kind of reaching out for help, I really internalized those feelings and punished myself. And in those circumstances, I really tried to self-sabotage and kind of destroy all these amazing things that I was working on in life. So, you know, having a social life, maintaining academics, uh, extracurriculars, or even my passions like film, TV, art, uh, they all fell to the wayside to addiction. That's, that's a very intense sort of story. I'm, I'm very, I'm sorry to hear of your, your friend's passing. And, you know, unfortunately, this isn't something that is like a, a unique circumstance either. A lot of people do get pushed into this by, by tragedy and things like that. Um, how do you think it affected your relationships, um, you know, battling this, this sort of thing on, on the side? How did you maintain your relationships with your family and close friends and, you know, uh, spouses or anything like that? Well, if I hadn't burned the bridges already, you know, any sort of relationships that I had going on for the moment really fell by the wayside. And I started creating a lot of tension and pressure and mainly just anger and resentment towards my friends and push them away. Um, you know, any idea of a romantic relationship was completely out of the picture. You know, I was so lost in my own sense of self-isolation that, you know, connecting with others really just becomes impossible at some point. 
And you get so trapped in the dark side of, you know, just either using on a daily basis or becoming essentially consumed with this idea that you need something to just get through the day. And for me, that's kind of what alcohol became. It became uh, my best friend at the time. It was something I could always depend on. I always knew it was going to give me something, but in the end, it just ended up taking away. And uh, that's really where things kind of just disappeared for me. And, you know, I was in that hole for a very, very long time. And, you know, I would try to claw my way out and, you know, have a slip and end up back at square one. So to be where I am today, you know, almost 11 months completely sober, uh, it's nothing short of a miracle. That, yeah, it's definitely really hard to pull yourself out of things. Like, and that a lot of the times when we hear about addiction, it's, it's um, very much a case of you have to pull yourself out. It's very hard for anyone else to sort of pull you out of that hole um, because then you start to rely on them and it's sort of more of a transference rather than something that you're building yourself. Um, but do you think that, you know, how, how can people help you to make that step on your own? Well, unfortunately, it's one of those decisions that you need to decide for yourself. You can't get sober for your mom, your father, your brother, your friends. It's something that you truly have to want and actively participate in on a daily basis. And for anyone who's struggling or noticing symptoms of either friends, family, or themselves sliding into addiction, it's important to reach out and talk to someone. A lot of people don't even have those basic connections where we can reach out and be vulnerable and honest. And that is really something that we need to take a look at in today's society. But if you do notice you are going down that path, it's important to know you do have options. There are resources available. And honestly, if I could help anyone else out, I totally would. But uh, help is really just a phone call away. And Ty, um, Brandy back. <laughs> um, you're, that's, this is like something that people are so afraid to talk about, even though I think one in every three people goes through something like this at, at some time in their life. Why? Why are we so afraid to share and why are you not like, can you help me to, to understand that so that other people might be able to step up and share their story too? Because it really, us knowing that other people like us are going through the same things. It's really comforting to know that we're not alone in our struggles. And, but so many people are afraid to say, Hey, I need help or Hey, th uh, this is, I needed help. And this is what it took. Why, why are you able to share that with us? <clears throat> You know, that's, that's a great question, Brandy. And to be honest, I am afraid, you know, even taking this interview, uh, I was having self doubts and anxiety towards being open and sharing. And the thought definitely crossed my mind. Like, is this going to affect my career? Is this going to be something that ends my career? But it's also important to understand that I'm in a place right now where I can actually do some service and be of help to others. And this is something that I think will benefit others. And it's important to stand up and say, you know what, I'm going through this. You're not alone. And the gifts I've received because of that open vulnerability, um, it's priceless, Brandy. 
you know, now I have people messaging me on social media saying, you know, I know you're going into recovery. I know you've been through recovery. I'm just starting my journey right now. What do I do? Where do I go for help? And that kind of trust and respect and honestly, just me being there for someone else, it's, uh, it's changed my life dramatically. And all the things that I have in my life right now are honestly because of this journey of recovery. Mm -hmm. And can I ask your opinion? Why is it women are, we're used to talking about our feelings with our girlfriends or our family members. And a lot of men are told like, you know, kind of taught to, Oh, be a man, get over it. You're, you're okay. You're not actually struggling. Just, just buck it up, you know? And that's, it's ridiculous because that's not how people are. Um, why, why do you think, is that, is that the number one contributor do you think to why men uh, struggle a little bit more or don't talk a little bit more? Like, have you seen anything within groups that you've been involved in or friends or even yourself? Is there more pressure on men to, to be tough and not talk about their issues? Yeah, absolutely. Brandy. And you know what? Men are allowed to feel, they're allowed to feel one emotion and typically that's anger, <laughs> right? Mm, yeah. <laughs> Um, there's so many factors that go into how we convey emotions and what we feel comfortable with. And, you know, society really told us that up until a few years ago, it was not very manly to share these feelings, Mm -hmm. right? You know, we would get chastised and berated. Some people even physically threatened when they opened up and were just vulnerable, And, you know, I was having a conversation with one of my close friends and he said, you know, I haven't been able to share something like this. I'm not sure ever with someone else. Mm. And, you know, I even take a look at my close relationships with some of my friends back from Calgary. And there are only a handful of times where I can honestly say they've been completely vulnerable with me. And that really needs to change. We need to kind of open up and be okay with letting these things go and just being open. Absolutely. Yeah, it's it's um it's something that I wondered how I can help young men especially to realize that they can you can still like being a man my I mean I was very lucky I I had two fathers who taught me what being a man was. They're both you know like tough guys that can change a tire and they can fix my engine if it breaks down and they can probably use a hammer to <laughs> a nail or chop some wood if we're in the bushes and but they're going to still open the door and still cry when they watch me walk down the aisle at my graduation and things like that like that to me is a, being a man you know being able to take care of the people that you love but also being able to just be like shit I'm having a rough day let me talk about it so it's yeah I, I was so blessed but I think some people don't have those kind of um, mentors uh, or men in their life to sh- teach them those skills. Do you, did you have anyone when you were in the midst of your struggles that, that was a real great man figure that you could kind of look to that, that was able to give you a good example of how you could reach out or. You know, unfortunately I come from a family, a very uh, stiff upper lip gentleman. So uh, this whole emotional vulnerability journey that I've been on uh, Mm -hmm. ever since I started to seriously look at my mental health. You know, it's something that you really have to discover for yourself. But I think what you mentioned there is absolutely invaluable. Having a mentor to look up to, to ask these questions, to uh, really just relate and connect to, uh, I think is absolutely something that would benefit anyone. And um, 
I just wanted to say that in regards to kind of the upbringing of men, you know, when we're vulnerable, it gives other people permission to be open and to share with us. And when they see that as an example, people tend to give back and really just open up. Yeah, thank you for that. <laughs> That's so awesome. Um, I know we have to go to a commercial break very shortly, but we're going to be talking about two great organizations that you're a part of right now. Um, do you happen to know the social media handles of those so people could maybe look them up while we're on the commercial break or the websites or they could just Google? Yeah, absolutely. So if you wanted to get in touch with the Canadian Mental Health Association, their Instagram handle is uh, CMHA underscore BC. I'm also working as a peer navigator with the Foundry North Shore, and they can be reached at Foundry underscore N Shore. Awesome. So we're just going to go to a quick commercial break, and then I know um, we'll have some questions definitely about those two organizations and how we can link people and, and what you've done with them. So thank you, Ty. Everybody, we'll be right back in just a couple minutes. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. Hey, you. Yeah, you. Are you tired of people asking you what you want to be when you grow up? Well, we can help. What if we gave you the money to start your own business? All you have to do is join the Teen Wealth Club. Even if you have no idea what you want to do, we can help you have the life of your dreams and play by your own rules. We are real, real people who believe that your life can be whatever you want it to be. And we know it works because we have hundreds of other teens just like you who are doing it right now. Check out GlobalTeenWealth.org and start the life of your dreams today. Don't forget to mention Teen Wealth Radio and we'll send you a free gift when you join. Or you can call us at 1-855-866-TEEN. That's 1-855-866-8336. GlobalTeenWealth.org. We're here to get you started on your future. Every day, we're surrounded by technical buzzwords and jargon that can go way over our heads. Now, there's a show that brings it all back down to earth. Tune in for today, Tomorrow's Technologies, with host Jose Negron. We'll not only explain the new technologies that are shaping our world, we'll give you the benefits and backstory of these technologies. Listen for T3 with Jose Negron, live every Tuesday at noon Eastern Time and 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. are tuned in to Teen Wealth Radio. To join in the conversation, send an email to Brandy at GlobalTeenWealth.com. That's Brandy with an I at GlobalTeenWealth.com. Now, back to this week's show. All righty, everyone. Welcome back. I hope you had a chance to check out those organizations on the break. We're talking to Ty, and today we're talking about men's mental health um, and addiction and uh, substance abuse. So there's a lot of heavy uh, things happening right now in this conversation. So if 
If you are feeling like this is maybe a little bit heavy for you, make sure that you've got someone you trust around you um, to help you through anything that you're feeling when we're talking about this, because it may stir up some emotions if this is something that you have um, ha have dealt with in your life. So Ty, um, we, just before we left off, um, we were talking about the organisations that you are a part of. Why don't you tell us a little bit more about that and, and the role you play and the role the organisations have played in, in your life? Absolutely. Thanks for asking me that. Um, you know, a big organization that I have a lot of love and admiration for is the Canadian Mental Health Association. And my career began with them, hard to believe now, about two years ago. And um, I found those guys because I was trying to seek help for my own recovery. And I was in a class at the Calgary Addiction Center and I was talking to a peer in that course, and they had suggested that there is this place where you can go to and talk to people who have lived experience with mental health and addiction and sign up for some free courses that specifically entail how to live a holistic, balanced life and how to really just get full swing into recovery. And... Um, Working with these guys has absolutely changed my life, for sure. Uh, not only because the knowledge that they provide is um, top of the line through addiction research, uh, but just the compassion that they have for the peers who come into the Canadian Mental Health uh, Centre. And I'm lucky enough to be working now with that same agency here in Vancouver. Um, they do a lot of incredible work for resources that people can access, um, a safe place where people can talk to peer support workers such as myself, and really just enhancing the community all around mental health, substance abuse, and well-being. So I'm working with those guys right now. I'm also working with a mental health agency called Foundry BC. And those guys are a youth mental health agency where people who are either you know, just struggling in their teen adolescent years can come and get some serious resources to combat either their mental health or substance abuse situation. Uh, they can talk to a peer support worker my, like myself. They can get help counseling. They can see a uh, doctor. We can get them housing. Just all these incredible, amazing things that uh, we can do down at Foundry. So when I'm not uh, doing my thing on set acting, uh, you can find me at Foundry BC uh, working with you. I think that's a really awesome thing that you're, you're giving back because a lot of the time, um, what it takes to sort of, you know, take this first step is, is see someone who's been through what you've gone through and like to have that that sort of understanding and kinship to say, well, someone who went through the same thing has has gotten through it, so I can. I guess my question for this is, what was the first step? And then how long between step one and step two was it? Because taking the first step is often the hardest, but then actually continuing that path and not relapsing it is like, you know, that's the, the clincher. So how long between step one and step two was it for you? Wow, that is uh, an amazing question, actually. Let's see if I can answer thoughtfully. Uh, step one, really, for me, was uh, looking at all the damage in my life that my uh, dependency was creating. And, you know, that meant legal issues. That meant 
physical health problems. That meant relationships burned, jobs lost, basically an implosion of my life as I knew it. Step two, not going back, man, that took me years to get there. And we're talking, looking at every resource available under the sun, you know, 12 step groups, uh, clinical help, uh, counselors, uh, treatment, you know, these are all things that are a part of my journey. And it's something that requires daily attention. You know, you can't just enter rehab and say, well, I'm good. I'm sober. Great. <laughs> that was fun. Uh, it's something that requires daily maintenance. And, uh, you know, it's even I catch myself slipping sometimes. But, uh, you know, what's important for me is to reach out and connect when I kind of enter those dark zones. And so for me, step two of uh, kind of that continued maintenance really looked like active recovery for me. And that meant either reaching out to people who are in a similar circumstance and have passed that threshold of kind of craving and triggers that might be associated with uh, first time abstinence or anything like that. And then checking in with myself and being honest with myself, uh, which is a real difficult thing to do. You have to kind of let go of uh, life as you know it really is how it, what it came down to. And uh, I also had to examine what I was missing in certain aspects of my life, whether that was um, occupational, relationship, uh, physically, and even spiritually. You know, I was very uh, spiritually lacking for a very long time. And all these things that kind of tag along with spirituality, hope, faith, uh, a belief that things can get better, really fell to the waste uh, sideline. So once I started re-examining those pieces of my life and actively putting back them back together, uh, that really helped establish um, a stability for me. As And honestly, the most important thing that... Uh, I really invested my time and in was helping others, uh, giving back what I had. Right. And that's still a big part of my life today. Hmm. I definitely think helping others helps to keep people on the same track on the track that they want to go to. But um, I don't know. I'm kind of, Oh, I've got a little bit of, I'm caught up a little bit, but <laughs> um, yeah, I've kind of, my, my ex was also an alcoholic. Um, and I think the, the key takeaway there from like what you're saying is that the, the step between step one and step two is not a determinable amount of time. It's not something that happens overnight. It's something that you have to constantly work towards that you can sort of, you know, have your, your step backwards and, and step forwards as well. Um, yeah. So what would you, what would you say to people who are in that step two, who feel like things are not getting better, you know, it's not like you just sort of decide, oh, I'm going to get sober and then all of a sudden it happens. Um, what what could you say to people about getting through that work and how difficult that is? Um, it is incredibly difficult. And uh, what I would say, even though I don't really <laughs> suggest in alcoholics giving other people advice, but uh, what I would say is struggle through it. Honestly, recovery is not a straight line. Like you mentioned, it's full of seven steps forward, 30 steps back, 
uh, sideways around. There's really no one word answer I can give you that can kind of work for one person or the other. Um, what works for me might not work for you, but uh, it's important to know that there are going to be incredibly stressful times. And it's important to understand that everything is temporary. This too shall pass. You can get through this. Other people have got through this and come out on the other side for the better. So while recovery might be uncomfortable, in the long term, it's invaluable. Definitely, definitely. And I think also um, in your recovery, you know, the, the steps that you're talking about, the rehab, the resources, there's plenty of resources out there. But it's also important to tap into your network and um, sort of see who's willing to support you through those times. And to those supporters, um, I would say, you know, establish your boundaries in this and, and sort of, you know, let people know how much you have the capacity to help because if they sort of lean on you too much and you don't say anything that can be detrimental on both sides um so what what would you sort of say to the supporters in this sort of situation keep on with the love and support <laughs> for anyone who's loved uh you know someone in recovery it is it it's full of turmoil and pain and suffering but the best and easiest thing you can do is just be there for them. Unfortunately, recovery is a choice and it is a choice that your loved one has to make, right? So all you can do is just be there for them. Um, they may have to fall on their ass a few times in order to really make that choice, but uh, recovery is beautiful and messy. And, you know, you hear a lot in recovery communities that, People have to reach a certain bottom before they, you know, need to get sober or change any choices. And uh, I really don't believe that's true. Um, I think you've had enough when you've had enough. And um, it only takes one simple decision to kind of set foot on that course. And that's the decision to take that first step forward. And I think what that should be for some people who you know, are really having a tough time with it, just tell someone close to you. As soon as you kind of get these things off your chest, the next step becomes just that much easier. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I guess the, the first step is admitting that there is an issue and that you, you need help. And I think, you know, a, a lot going back to that men's mental health piece, that's probably the hardest part with, with going through this substance abuse. And as a man, because you're constantly told, like, given this rhetoric of you don't ask for help, you're the one that fixes things. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely. And that comes down to kind of societal expectations and what's presumed to be the man's role in society. You know, we're living in a different time and age where people are doing different things. And I would highly encourage men to just either explore or discover or try something new for the first time. You know, I've talked to gentlemen who are in their 60s now and have been in support groups where they just let all these feelings out and decades of turmoil come out all in one session. And you can really feel these things in the room. And honestly, there's nothing more human than sitting in one place and relating to each other on these feelings of suffering, right? That's totally right. All anybody ever wants is to be understood, I guess. <laughs> 
Um, but you mentioned in your in your bio um, that you focus on holistic recovery techniques. So what what sort of is the um, like difference between the holistic recovery and any other type of recovery? What do you mean by that? Wow, that's a great question. Um, holistic holistic recovery implies the aspect of looking at your entire life. And, you know, for me, that meant letting go a lot of people, places, things that you really used to be a part of what I considered myself. Now, these days, I have to re reflect and change on everything. That means meditation twice a day for me, uh, physical exercise five times a week, uh, reaching out to other people who are struggling, um, investing my time into creative pursuits. The way I would phrase it is learning to love life again. And uh, that means throwing every ounce of your being into something different, something new, looking at each avenue of, of your life and deciding, does this make me happy? You know, I, I love all of those approaches because they are sort of a real life thing. And, and the great thing about all of those approaches is there's no wrong way to do that. I think a lot of times when um, people are, are talking about holistic recovery and they, they talk about things like meditation, especially um, that people sort of get scared of that and they don't know how to do meditation, right? Can you talk us through maybe your first experience with meditation and, and maybe like, cause I know that some people that I've had experience with that have substance abuse issues, when we've tried to meditate, it's just made them very, very frustrated because they felt like they haven't done it right kind of thing. So what was your first experience with these holistic methods? Oh, absolutely brutal. I mean, <laughs> before I was bouncing off the walls, running around uh, either in active addiction or kind of just doing random things. Uh, asking me to sit still for anything beyond a minute before would have just, you know, it just doesn't make sense to me. I don't want to do it. I don't want to sit here and just breathe. Now it's a part of my life. Um, and it's important to understand that when people are entering recovery for the first time, your body is really adjusting back to being normal. And sometimes that takes a really long time to get there. So with anything new, you know, either a hobby, a practice, a belief, you really have to be kind to yourself and let time take itself to get there. Um, this is a lifelong journey. I wish I had a uh, just easy method where you could watch a video and just boom, instant recovery. But unfortunately, it is just a road that sometimes we have to trudge on every single day. Um, and while it might have been difficult at first to really kind of be mindful, be self-aware of not only myself, but those in my inner circle, um, it really changed my perspective on how I view the world and how I view the different relationships in my life as well. And it's given me a stillness that I'm able to sit in now and really just appreciate the quieter moments. Mm -hmm, for sure. Like there's, there's so much to um, unpack about like all of that sort of thing. And, and I love that you've sort of shared your, your story about like 
how it started with you and your recovery and all that sort of thing um, because recovery isn't just a magic word it's not just that result straight away it's the commitment to the results every day and I think that's very clear in, in what you're saying and even just how you started like starting is not easy um, I guess my my thing here is like how has this made you a better person like what's the positive aspect of of going through what you've gone through it's changed me completely. Um, you know, before I was just incredibly self-obsessed, wrapped in what was going on with me. But um, now I truly appreciate the people who are in my life. I understand that everything happens for a reason. And it's just given me a sense of gratitude that honestly, I've never experienced before. And it's given me a connection to other people who, you know, maybe I would have not even known in this life, but uh, I can walk into a room and I understand exactly what they're going through. That's really cool. Okay, well, we do have to go to a break, but after the break, let's dive a bit uh, deeper into that and how, you know, external factors uh, affect that and, and your experience what you bring to the table with your profession and all that sort of thing. We'll, we'll dive into a whole bunch more things after this short break. Thank you. Thank you. Stimulating talk. It gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. Hey, you. Yeah, you. Are you tired of people asking you what you want to be when you grow up? Well, we can help. What if we gave you the money to start your own business? All you have to do is join the Teen Wealth Club. Even if you have no idea what you want to do, we can help you have the life of your dreams and play by your own rules. We are real, real people who believe that your life can be whatever you want it to be. And we know it works because we have hundreds of other teens just like you who are doing it right now. Check out GlobalTeenWealth.org and start the life of your dreams today. Don't forget to mention Teen Wealth Radio and we'll send you a free gift when you join. Or you can call us at 1-855-866-TEEN. That's 1-855-866-8336. GlobalTeenWealth.org. We're here to get you started on your future. Are you ready for a broad look at everything to do with the world of sports? If so, tune in to the Mike Abadir Show. It's a unique perspective to the connections between sports and business. Host Mike Abadir has negotiated numerous deals in the NFL. Along with co-host Gino Bacola, Mike will bring his expertise, discussion, and some terrific guests to the airwaves. Listen live for the Mike Abadir Show every Thursday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You are tuned in to Teen Wealth Radio. To join in the conversation, send an email to Brandy at GlobalTeenWealth.com. That's Brandy with an I at GlobalTeenWealth.com. Now, back to this week's show. 
All right, welcome back, everyone. We're talking with Ty about men's mental health and um, addiction to alcohol specifically, but any sort of substance abuse. Uh, I'm Rebecca, and you've got Brandy in the background lurking somewhere. Uh, but just before we um, left for the break, we were talking about, you know, external forces and, and how that may affect your journey and things like that. So right now, we obviously have a very unique situation with this uh, global pandemic, and there's not really any precedent on on how to handle substance abuse or anything like that during this time. How do you think this has, like, could have possibly affected people? And how has it affected your recovery specifically? Well, you're right, Rebecca, this is absolutely an amazing situation. And kind of the first thought I had when we went into lockdown was the fact that, okay, I think people might understand what it's like to be in recovery now, because you're isolated, lonely, bored, you got nowhere to be, and just a ton of time at home, not knowing what's next, where to do. And these are incredibly common feelings in early recovery. So I was kind of grateful a little bit because I think we all need to kind of take a step back and look at what's really going on here. And unfortunately, I think the pandemic has definitely um, added a few people to the rooms, as we say. And what we mean, what I mean by that is that while we're incredibly focused on cases, numbers, um, what's going on in our local communities, um, a big factor of this thing that's been completely almost ignored is the rate of addiction that's been either going up or people who are just entering recovery for the first time. Um, it's been incredibly challenging, but honestly, I think that my own recovery journey has kind of prepared me for this type of situation. And I'm grateful that I have places to go and people to talk to that understand where I'm coming from. And number two, have some solutions about how I can conduct myself to uh, be productive and positive instead of looking at going back to any negative, harmful behaviors. Yeah, well, something that has come about, um, which I think, I think, you know, even though we are isolated during this time, I think I feel like this would probably be a really like noisy time for someone going through substance issues because, um, you know, we're very casual about alcoholism on social media these days. And especially with things like the pandemic, people are like, I'm drinking wine every day now and we're encouraging people to drink alone. And it's becoming very normal to just be like, yeah, I just drank a bottle of vodka today and it's like a joke but to people where this is actually a serious issue this is probably really really not great for for their their recovery and things like that where it's being encouraged to to drink with each other while you're alone in a room yeah absolutely I mean staying at home is hard enough when you can't connect and reach out to your friends and family and the people that you love and care about. But for those people who are either, you know, entering their journey for the first time and don't know what to do and don't have the usual supports, it's an extremely dangerous time. And if there's one thing that I'd love people to take away from this is that you are not alone. There are people who are going through the same exact things as you are right at this moment. And it's important to reach out and get someone on the phone and see what your options are in your area. 
Yeah, and you know, in this age of like where our only catch-ups are, you know, Zoom drinks and things like that, there's there's a lot of pressure from your peers almost as well when they don't realize what you're going through. Hey, where's your drink? You can't be on the Zoom catch-up without a drink. The beauty of virtual is they have no idea what's in your glass. You can just make something look cute and be like, yeah, it's vodka. <laughs> if you're not quite ready to, to be like, oh, I'm not drinking today and have that discussion with everybody in the Zoom call, there are options and things like that. <laughs> <laughs> Rebecca, can I say something? I love what you guys were just talking about because part of Mind the Bar, the mental health nonprofit that I was blessed to be a part of the launch team with, they partnered with Russell Brewing and Russell Brewing created... Uh, like very low um, uh, alcohol content beer and they're working at creating a few more with a few other brands of zero content beer that still looks like a regular beer because a lot of the times it's like this has is a boring beer labeled on it so people feel that shame and the, some of the bars that I worked at we created zero percent cock proof cocktails so it was like all these different cool things where they'd steep and ferment all these different things it still tasted really good like a great cocktail and nobody knew the difference and if anyone owns a bar or restaurant I encourage you to do the same thing and have a couple things on your menu that aren't like virgin bloody mary because that really stands out when someone orders it and if you are out with friends and somebody orders something they don't want to drink don't don't push them to have one my goodness I mean you you just never know somebody could be taking um I don't know, penicillin or something for a, for a, for an infection. You don't want to, you don't want to call anybody out. Just like leave people alone. There's, we're so bullying even to our friends and we don't even realize it because it's been become a culture of like, I know in Canada, we go out and that's what we do. When we go out, we drink and there's nothing, there's never a time. Like we go bowling, we drink, we go for brunch, we have mimosas. Like it's, it's just there now all the time. And you never know, somebody might have a different life story than you. Everybody does. And thank you, Ty, so much for coming on here, because that's just once again, reinforcing that we are, no matter if we're an actor, a model, a philanthropist, a physiotherapist, a doctor, whatever it is that we are, we all have these things that are in our closets that we might not be ready to share. And we shouldn't have to be shamed for making a different decision than the people around us. So thank you for that. Sorry, I just wanted to jump in. And I encourage all breweries to have better alcohol or <laughs> better tasting non-alcoholic beers because I love beer but I don't always want alcohol <laughs> that's true I think I think we really do need to like normalize uh not asking someone why they don't want to drink because it's the only addiction you have to like explain to people it's weird like if you don't if they don't want something they don't want it you don't you, you have no obligation to say anything what you're going through if you don't feel like a drink you don't feel like a drink like that's it no shame no shame but you know like onto other sort of um experiences with uh like what you've gone through and everything how does this affect your career and and you as an actor and and a model like what were the pressures of the industry and and what are the positive aspects and the negative aspects talk us through that yeah absolutely um you know i think brandy really hit the nail on the head um we live in such a society where just booze is just absolutely everywhere. It doesn't matter where you go. Right. And, uh, you know, especially in the film scene, there's a uh, rap parties, there's uh, casting directors inviting you out for drinks, um, celebrations, premieres, like all this incredibly cool shit where like just alcohol would go hand in hand. Right. And, uh, you know, that was definitely a part of my journey too. You know, I loved uh, 
grabbing a drink with some friends or your uh, cast or crew, that was honestly like a highlight for me at some point. Um, but it comes a point where you need to kind of decide where things are going and what kind of that substance is doing for you. You know, like before where it was a method for me to bond and communicate with others, uh, it became really just a mask for me to hide under. Um, so it came to a point where it did start to negatively impact my career and it became a choice. It's like, do I want a career or do I want to keep drinking, right? It's also important to mention that alcohol is not the problem. You know, there's tons of people who function normally, don't have issues. Uh, substances are not the issue here. It's what we do with them that really matters. Once it starts to become either a crutch or a coping mechanism or something that you can't live without, then it's time to reflect on your relationship uh, with that substance. And ever since I stopped using, um, I like to think that my performance has uh, definitely improved a little bit. Um, you know, I can remember my lines better. Um, I look a little better in, you know, the casting room. I have more energy. I feel good. I look good. Um, it's just taken my craft to the next level. And honestly, I don't see a future where going back is an option for me. I'd really like to invest my time into perfecting my craft, my art, and uh, really just see where that avenue can take me. Where, where do you feel the most pressure from that is, is a little scary for your recovery? Like, is it, is it when you get gifts unexpectedly or is it in pressures in the film industry or is it something completely different? Where, where would you say is the thing that you feel the most you have to really draw on your strength to not go back? Yeah, uh, it's kind of ironic. I would say I'm my biggest enemy. Um, you know, growing up, I've definitely had challenges and everyone does. But at the end of the day, it comes down to whether I'm making the right choices. And if I look back on my history of relapses that I've had, it always comes down to, am I uncomfortable? Am I angry? Do I have resentment towards someone or something? And am I in a situation where I'm not sure if I can cope? You know, I've looked at historically stressful situations for myself and just either not being able to handle that stress in a productive manner or simply just being bored. There are so many factors that go into these types of things, but it really comes down to what am I willing to lose? And that's what it became for me. Mm. You know, each cup. I can look at as, you know, a symbol for self-sabotage or uh, destruction. You know, there were certain aspects in my life that I was not happy about and that I couldn't control. And control was a big aspect in my recovery as well. When you feel like nothing's going your way and everything's up in the air in times like this, it's really hard to motivate yourself and keep disciplined to keep making those positive choices. That's why it's so important to connect with other people who are struggling with something that you've struggled with. They have the answers. They've been where you've been. They know what to do. So for me, that's where I found my biggest strength, relying on other people who have struggled and have come out on the other side, especially those who are just struggling for the first time. And I can be there for them. 
that's what makes this journey priceless. Yeah, I guess a sense of community really, really helps in this sort of regard because, um, you know, sometimes the motivation does need to come from, you know, I've got to be strong because this person's going through what I went through and I know how hard that was. So I've got to be a good example kind of thing. So that can help you stay on track, but it isn't the thing that's going to pull you out of it initially, I guess. So many factors, so many different things. Uh, every person is a completely different piece of the puzzle. And it really is your responsibility to figure out how those pieces come together. Well, we do only have like a couple of minutes left. So let's talk about where people can find you. So if you, cause you are very open about your journey and if people have any questions or if they want to follow what you do and support who you are, where can they find you? Absolutely. So you can reach me on my Instagram page at uh, Ty Javos. You can find me on there. Um, I do have Facebook, but that's uh, for my best of friends. Um, and you can, if you want to check out any of uh, my cool artistic stuff, I post uh, all my pictures on Instagram or my music on SoundCloud at Ty Javos. So. Yeah. Awesome. Ty, I just want to jump back in and ask you my favorite question to ask every guest. You have 30 seconds. The whole world has to sit down, shut up and listen to one thing that you want to tell everybody. What is the one thing you want to tell the world? Please, dear God, get out and vote. My God. <laughs> can't take more, four more years of this. All right. <laughs> We're in Canada. Thank you, love. Thank you so much for coming, Rebecca. You are a phenomenal co-host. I just think you're the best, my darling. I appreciate you so much, even though your time clock is on a different one than the rest of us. Ty, thank you so much for being open and kind and sharing your story. And I know somebody listening is um, more enlightened and maybe about to reach out or share their story because of what you shared with us. So thank you so much. Ladies, it's been a blast. Thank you. Everybody, we'll see you back same place, same time next week, live at 5 Pacific on T-Moth Radio. Thanks for being part of Teen Wealth Radio. Please join your host, Brandy England, her guests, and panel of experts again next Thursday at 5 p.m. Pacific Time, 8 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have an awesome week, and we'll see you here for the next show. Oh.